thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you inspiring you to awaken the change within i'm karen smith i'm kim morrison and i'm cindy o'meara and we have an amazing guest on today's show and this is somebody that cindy has worked very hard to get on the show who has a profound message and i think the message is as much about love and support as it is about creating massive change in the hearts and minds of millions across the globe. So, Cindy, I'm going to throw to you, girlfriend, because you are all over this, and I think it would be best for you to like, really um, introduce today's guest and, and give everybody a bit of a background. Thank you, Karen. Yes, um, we have Belinda Fetke on the phone, and, and Belinda um, is the most amazing wife, number one, and supports her husband, Gary, who's an orthopedic surgeon. And... Um, I, look, you know what? I think I'd like to let Belinda tell her story. But Belinda, where I'd like you to start is when Gary first became a heretic, back when the smoking days and um, orthopaedic surgeons and their thoughts about it. Would you like to start back there, please, Belinda? And welcome to the show. <laughs> Let's start back there. Hi, ladies. Thank you for having me on. Um, I guess I've known Gary since I was 16. And he was a first-year medical student when we first met, and he has always been a disruptor, but a disruptor to, to do the best that he can in medicine and in everything. And he always wanted to um, help people get their best health outcomes. So even as an intern and a resident, he was advocating for people to reduce smoking, and um, especially when he became a, an orthopedic surgeon, there was a lot of research coming out to show that smoking constricted um, vessels and created poor outcomes for people when they're having surgery on extremities. So from day dot, as long as I've known him, he's always agitated for best health practices. And so even back in those days, he because we live in Launceston, it's a very small place. We would walk down the street sometimes and he'd see someone smoking and he'd say, I'm going to tell Joan your surgery's put off for another six weeks. This is for... Um, obviously, um, non-urgent surgeries. He'd have a bit of a joke and said, sorry, I'm not doing it for six weeks because your health outcomes could be so much better if you've got none of that in your body, in your system when I, when I operate. So highlighting those things, um, he got busier and busier as an orthopaedic surgeon and the smoking thing caught up, luckily, and it became... Um, everywhere that no one was allowed to really smoke before surgery it was always um, best practice not to do it now and he developed a or he got cancer in the year 2000 he was working really long hours very very busy getting a few headaches and wasn't sure why and even said to his secretary at the time I think I've got a scratch on my operating glasses could you please um, order a new pair and then that afternoon he realised he still could see a little tiny scratch in his vision and it wasn't going away. So he went and saw an ophthalmologist and had an MRI that day and discovered that he had a pituitary tumour. Um, and so our lives were turned upside down fairly quickly. Unfortunately, the tumour that he developed and then the stereotactic radiotherapy and the chemotherapy 
he developed um, a diabetes insipidus, which is quite different to the normal diabetes that most people are aware of. This is where you can't actually um, concentrate your urine. So you have to drink a lot of fluid and you've got to actually drink to match your output. And the hospital at the time told him to drink between 8 to 12 litres of fruit juice a day because water would be very boring to have to drink that much. So we didn't think about the fact that Gary's PET scan lit up like a Christmas tree to the uptake of glucose. No one was thinking about it back then in 2000. Well, obviously, Mr. Warburg did back in the 1930s. Um, but all that research had gotten lost along the way. And so Gary just did as he was told. I think tumour, I think the more people I speak to who are having um, chemotherapy and different things, they say they're driven to even more sugar than you normally would be. It really drives this craving. And so Gary was starting to become a sugar addict. He was having, um, was crunching up cornflakes for breakfast. He was having sweetened yogurts, fruit yogurts, low fat, of course, because that's what you had to do. He was having a lot of fruit juice, um, a lot of fruit, throwing a bit of chocolate every day, have pasta, bread, rice. We thought, you know, we thought we were doing mostly the right thing. And as it turned out, he was having massive sugar load. And he had a second lot of surgery in 2004. And by 2009, they said that they didn't think there was anything else they could do. Um, and that was a bit of, oh, okay, it wasn't even a bit of a shock. It was horrible. So Gary just went, maybe there's something I'm missing here. He kept trying to find more and more information online about um, cancer. Um, looking at different ways he might be able to address it and came across um, a couple of things about the same time. David Gillespie's book Sweet Poison was recommended to him and he thought, well, what does a lawyer know about sugar that I don't know? I'm a surgeon. I've got all these qualifications in medicine after my name. So he read that book and also at around the same time, um, our pharmacist said to Gary that there's some interesting work being done with a drug called metformin and finding that the side effect of metformin was that people were appearing to get less incidence of cancer or their cancer was going into remission. So Gary looked into that a little bit more and very, very basically, my basic science discussion is that metformin stops the uptake of sugar. It does it in a much more profound way than I'm explaining, but you know, that's sort of what happens. And Gary said, why would I take another drug? Because at that time he was already taking about 13 tablets a day to, with his chemotherapy and all the complications that had developed over time with blood pressure and arrhythmias and all sorts of things and to counteract side effects of the chemo, he's on more medications. So he said, why would I take another drug when I could potentially give up sugar? It can't be that hard. And his health started to improve dramatically. Um, he started to see this and then think about it more and was doing more research, got in touch with um, a guy called Dominic Diagostino in America and Colin Champ, some other guys who were actually looking at cancer and, and sugar, the correlation, found out about Warburg. Um, he just started getting really excited about the whole thing, going, oh, my gosh, um, I can start to tell people about this. You know, why doesn't everyone know? And then when he started looking into... Um, type 2 diabetes because most of a lot of his patients in the public hospital system I'd say most of his patients in that system 
were coming to hospital because of diabetes complications um, and mostly type 2 but type 1 as well. And he started to think, well, we're feeding these people high carbohydrate, high glucose load. Surely that's pushing up the insulin and not helping the whole situation. Again, when Gary started looking at all this, you've got to remember that type 2 diabetes, and it still is, claimed to be a chronic progressive disease. Um, and once you've got diabetes, there's no going back and you end up on medication and more medication and then end up with the complications of that, which are horrific. Um, the retinopathies, kidney disease, um, and as Gary sees, neural, uh, 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 peripheral neuropathies. So requiring amputations of bits of toes, bits of heel, forefoot, feet, and worst cases, then below knee amputation. And these people suffer terribly because their ulcers just don't heal. Um, you can't give antibiotics for these ulcers. And the only way to try and control this, and again, that's at the beginning stages. Once it's too far gone, it's very, very hard. But Gary was finding that people who reduced their sugar and better control their blood glucose, early stage ulceration was starting to heal and people getting better control of their blood glucose. And he was thinking, well, maybe this can help them get those complications. And then working with people, um, with dietitians who were understanding this concept of low carbohydrate for um, diabetes management, especially type 2 at the time, but there's more and more research coming out that it can improve um, blood glucose management for type 1 diabetes as well. For type 2 diabetes, some of these people were able to come off their medications, reduce their medications, come off their medications. Um, it's really quite incredible. So Gary's getting more and more excited. As you know, Cindy, you guys were chatting about the same time, seven, eight years ago, going, oh, my gosh, you know, why isn't this becoming mainstream? Why aren't more people talking about this? And Gary was also trying to have meetings at the hospital and talk to dietitians about what he was working out, saying, why are my patients having such high glucose loads? Would you believe the Tasmanian health system recommendations still are for three desserts per day for people with diabetes. Um, this is unconscionable. I cannot even imagine how they can imagine people could get control of their blood glucose. And some people even say they're managing their diabetes outside of the hospital, but when they come into the hospital, it's out of control. They need more medication. It's a terrible situation. So Gary was trying to raise awareness of this, trying to raise awareness of the amount of junk food that was for sale in the hospitals and to bring in line with some of the junk food policies that we're hearing about in Adelaide and in Victoria that were starting to, um, hospital systems were starting to agitate to change this up, become health um, professionals and role models for the community as well. And so, unfortunately, Gary's excitement and um, the things that he was starting to advocate for backfired on him. And I have to say, I might have, put him, threw him under the bus a little bit too because I thought his message was so important and they weren't listening at the hospital. I suggested he get on social media. So Gary was reported to the medical board of the Australian Health Practitioner Regulation Agency in 2014 for advocating that his patients reduce sugar in hospital and the dietitians were not happy. Um, it was an anonymous notification, but it actually was a dietitian because Gary's got surgical loops. And 
APRA don't actually understand how to keep how to redact things and keep them private. And they sent through with this notification the person's um, report with screen grabs from Facebook. And while they took out her name, they left her friends list down the side of Facebook. So once we zoomed in a little bit, we could work out who it was. Um, we're not mentioning that person's name because we don't. We believe after 850 odd pages came to light at the end of last year under freedom of information, um, that the hospital was targeting Gary and we had part of that 850-page document included two letters from the then CEO of the Dietitians Association of Australia, Claire Hewitt, to a directive pretty much to the then CEO of the Launceston General Hospital to silence Gary. And when they received the second letter from the Dietitians Association of Australia, there was a, an email go out to five people and said, how can we escalate this? And within a couple of weeks, Gary was reported to APRA. So we believe this person was so junior that maybe she was encouraged to um, report Gary. So um, I think the, the real issue is much, much higher up and all the way to the top of the LGH, all the way to the top of the Tasmanian Health System, and all the way to the top of the Dietitians Association of Australia. Um, Gary was investigated in a star chamber investigation for two and a half years under the medical board, despite submitting um, a thousand odd pieces of research that Gary actually printed off and underlined and highlighted and sent to them repeatedly over and over and over again. Um, they kept saying to him, no, what you're doing is wrong. And the more Gary defended himself, the more they had then more fuel he was giving them to come back and fight further and further. So the case just grew and grew. And, and I kept looking at Gary and I was looking at all these other people around the world who were all talking about low carb and the low carb down under group in Australia was just starting out in 2014. And I was thinking, all these doctors have got the science to show that low carbohydrate healthy fat principles, so in principle, which is a really, it's been a really amazing flexible um, acronym because it can support people culturally, ethically, religiously to, of course, an omnivore diet's the easiest one in that case, but it can support people to be vegetarian, vegan, zero carb, uh, sorry, yes, zero carb, um, all sorts of things, zero fibre, it can support people. And why is there such a pushback? So instead of watching Gary talk blue in the face trying to discuss the science, I started delving into why is it being silenced or why is this message not being able to go out further? And as you're aware, Cindy, it's taken me down some very unusual and unexpected rabbit holes. So I guess Gary was silenced by the medical board in 2016 and so we continued and I continued to fight that very much on social media and the support from you and from your listeners and from our followers and worldwide has been incredible. And I think that helped get Tim Noakes, who was also under the same scrutiny, and Gary both off the hook last year, not only was Gary exonerated of all charges, trumped up charges, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> he also received an official apology from the APRA Medical Board. So 
my research was just why is he being silenced? And that was that's the thing that I'm that I'm most curious about. I I don't, you know, sitting here thinking to myself, okay, well, where is the gain for the medical industry? Where how, how do they stand to gain? Where's the benefit to them? I mean, I can understand if there's a financial loss or if there's a, um, you know, there's. I mean, obviously their viewpoints are. It must be quite humiliating to have somebody, um, you know, fly in the face of what they've been touting. But think, surely that's what progress is, isn't it? I mean, system has created. Uh, uh, they're band-aiding sick care. And most doctors don't even realise, Gary didn't even realise. Like, to be fair, Gary had no idea about nutrition until, until he got sick. Um, so first it was about himself and then it was about his patients and then it became about the community and going, oh, I can't be quiet, this is too important. But most doctors, their training is from the pharmaceutical industry, the dietitian's training is from the food industry and pharma. I'll say, I'll say both are both. But definitely a, a slant to pharma in medicine and a slant to the food industry with dietitians, their education has been shaped by vested interests and ideology. And when you are so busy as a doctor, when you learn something, when you're taught a certain way, you believe it. And I'll go back to the 1970s with the McGovern report and that whole low-fat thing coming out. I believe that, yes, it started to become, go into the government, started going to their dietary goals and guidelines but it went into the medical education it went into dietetic education and these young people believed this was the newest most amazing thing it was going to save people they were the foot soldiers marching forward and telling everybody this amazing thing it's very hard once things get into education for someone to doubt what they're being taught you know, and there's research to back it up and there's all sorts of things. We're talking 50 years down the track of low-fat, high-carb dietary guidelines. There's a belief system there. How can you not trust what you've been taught? So in fairness, I think most doctors have no idea. But um, so they did, they did issue an apology. Yeah, and, they issued an apology. And a retraction of, well, of, of the charges, apology, and they've dropped all charges. So, and did they say why they decided to do that? Um, the the issue was, and this took us two years with the National Health Ombudsman of questioning the process. Gary's caution that he said that he was not allowed to talk about even reducing sugar, but not allowed to talk about low carb, even if it became accepted best practice. He couldn't talk about any of these things. And it was lifelong and non-appealable. Right. The only thing we could do was appeal the process. And so we just had to keep digging and digging to find issues with the process. They, the science was, that was dead. They weren't going to talk about it ever again or anything else. So by going to the ombudsman and saying this process was flawed, Gary, the things that he submitted, I found that the expert witness in Gary's case who was the Emeritus Professor of Nutrition for the South East Asia Pacific region, we're talking someone so high up, comes to Launceston, comes down to Tasmania to judge an orthopaedic surgeon in Launceston who had 5,000 people following him on Facebook to say that he wasn't allowed to talk about low-carb and reducing sugar, also sent my um, alert system going, what the hell? 
So um, they said to us when I found that this expert witness had worked for Sanitarium that they did not believe us. They did not believe me, even though I sent screen grabs and actual documentation showing that he worked for them. They believed the expert witness. And so Gary had not a leg to stand on. So then I started going, well, come on, this is ridiculous. So the, the National Ombudsman, to her credit, um, pursued this and it's a ridiculous situation because she's got to come down with some findings. She has to send it back to the Tasmanian Medical Board of APRA to then have them say again, no, we don't believe it, and send it back again. So the whole thing, it took two years going back and forth. Finally, she decided that there was enough of an issue that she sent it for an independent review. And this independent review in another state in, within six weeks totally threw out the entire thing. So the Medical Board of Tasmania had taken two and a half years and we would say to become a, ve a vehicle for a vexatious notification and investigation, um, people on the Medical Board of Tasmania were part of the issue. They were involved in wanting to silence Gary. So when it was sent to an independent review, it was completely knocked down in six weeks. But that's been four and a half years of, uh, or nearly five years of our life. That was a huge personal, professional and financial cost in all of this. And, um, and you just think it's also, also cost Gary's patients and it's cost the community and it's cost other health professionals who've been too scared to talk about what Gary's been advocating. They've gone, oh, I can't say that because I might be silenced. And the advantage or disadvantage, but the difference for Gary was our kids have grown up and left home. They're, they're safe and secure. We don't have the concern of still having to put children through schooling. Um, you know, a lot of people who've come to us and have been telling their stories about how APRA destroys lives seriously and people don't want to be involved in it at all. If they can keep themselves safe, they will. Um, we didn't have to worry about that and we were prepared to risk everything to fight for this. Um, whereas a lot of people, and in fairness, they can't afford to risk that. They've got too much at stake. Um, so having Gary have this case all thrown out now paves the way for any doctor to be able to talk about the health principles of low-carbohydrate healthy fat principles. Sorry, they can talk about this now. APRA will never come at this again. Oh, Belinda? Unbelievable. Thank you, Belinda, oh. for letting us know. Um, and I want to also congratulate the two of you um, when I heard the news that he had an apology, um, it was just brilliant. So congratulations on what you've done. Thank you so much. Well, can I just say it was a huge week because Gary was exonerated, I think it may be the Tuesday, unexpected and totally out of the blue. And within a couple of days, the, Di the Dietitians Association of Australia announced that they were severing all ties with the food industry. And I, my husband cried. <laughs> oh, that's amazing you know this is this is big and a lot of the research that i was uncovering was this vested interest in this tie of the dietitians association of australia to the food industry we last year in june um oh there was a dietitian who was totally annoying me on um facebook getting on there talking again about how dangerous low carb was and um i get really 
people sometimes and go, okay, I'm putting your name in with my main searches on, on Google, my favourite place in the world. Though a lot of things I've Googled and least saved have been taken down. But I went in, put in this person, dietitian's name, put in my favourite key tag words and there you go, pop up. Thank you very much. Confidential minutes of uh, the Australian Breakfast Cereal Manufacturing Forum having a meeting at Sanitarium and it was Freedom Foods, Sanitarium, Nestle, Kellogg's um, and in this confidential document that was online and I can tell you, I don't know how to hack into anything. I, I you know how much trouble I had trying to get on to you guys to do this Zoom meeting. So um, I'm not a hacker. This was just there. It just plucked it out. And not only did it tell how the Australian Breakfast Cereal Manufacturing Forum was paying the Dietitians Association of Australia $23,000 to influence, protect and actively defend not only cereal and grains but sugars messaging, it was also targeting my husband, had his name on there as targeted for active defence with Marianne DeMarcy and a few others. It's like, are you kidding me? Mm. So I think, again, we had started talking about this. I gave, um, I found three documents, I let a few people know who are as militant about all this as I am, and they went searching and by that night we had 49 um, confidential documents downloaded of course everything was gone by the next day well I'm actually online right now and I've just googled confidential documents and I have got that document up on my yeah. screen yeah, they've put it all up they've put what? it all up there. yeah under it's it, the website's michaelwest.com.au yes. Michael Marianne did an article with him so wow. all these documents I got the first three the others and I won't name who, whom they are, got others and sent them to Marianne and go, we've got to do something about this. So Marianne wrote a piece with Michael West. Um, I've been chatting to the US uh, website. They contacted me, the US Right to Know, who've done a lot of work in the tobacco industry and the um, Coca-Cola, outing of all of the backhanded work they've been doing. So they've been chatting to me about this is a cereal industry, a serious um, issue I would think that the cereal industry are paying our dietitians association of Australia and that dietitians association of Australia have used their dietitians without most of them knowing to use hashtags to do this to do that to I mean those documents are in detail about what they want them to do with their marketing and how the dietitians their members are going to be used um, so as far as I'm concerned this is criminal I guess it's not the ABCMF can do it, but the fact that the Dietitians Association of Australia agreed to it is the issue. Gary submitted all of those documents and a seven-page letter to the Senate inquiry into obesity last year. Um, and would you believe they... So the Dietitians Association of Australia were asked to respond to that Gary named people specifically and the Dietitians Association of Australia. So everyone he named and the associations had an opportunity to respond to it being submitted to the Senate inquiry. So it was within a couple of, uh, a week, 10 days of the Dietitians Association finding out they were being submitted to the Senate inquiry as well. I wonder if that was the catalyst. We like to think that was the catalyst to them making this big announcement. 
they're the first one worldwide to do it. And if you think about it, it was a smart move because if the obesity inquiry had made all of those documents public as part of that inquiry, the dietitians would have then had to explain, Dietitians Association of Australia would have had to explain, whereas by breaking all the ties beforehand, then they could say if it did become public, oh, we're actually, you know, we've severed those ties. That was the previous CEO. I'm the new CEO now and we're not permitting that to keep going. So it was a very, very smart move. But the obesity um, inquiry never made those documents public. And, in fact, they dropped the reference that Gary had submitted that under asking was the um, food industry involved in creating or shaping or influencing the dietary guidelines um, they dropped that reference when they brought back their final results. So the food industry are also in the government. They're not just paying the dietitians. They're everywhere. We're, we're screwed. We can't get any of this into mainstream media, as you would know. The only hope we've got, I think, is to keep challenging on social media. And this Eat Lancet um, commission report that's just come out is exactly the same all the media's all we've got to go vegan and let's drop meat and let's do this and let's do that and i think the power of social media and all of us sharing the information that we've collated it's not i'm not an anti-vegan i'm not anti-religion despite a lot of the research that i've done that might that's been showing up um the religious ideology that's also anti-meat um i think it's it's about empowering people to have a choice and and in and a choice for their health. That's my biggest thing. Belinda, Belinda, on behalf of, of Cindy and, and Karen and our listeners, I just I just love to acknowledge you for what Cindy said at the beginning for, for standing by not only your man, but obviously I, I just want to take a sidetrack about your profession. I mean, you have a nursing background, is that right? I do. I was a nurse for five years. Yeah. Um, so, so how how has this affected both yours and Gary's um, noble interest in health and wellness and caring for people and wanting to create the greater good for our planet? How has this affected your trust and your insights into your professions and into your industry in the medical realm? Um, I think it's very disillusioning. Um, now that I've gone so far back and seen these influences, vested interests and ideology that have shaped our, not only our dietary but our health guidelines, um, you know, it's, it's mind-blowing how we have been health-washed to Band-Aid sick care. Even when I was a nurse, we used to have a bed card that was put above people's head and it said, this person's on a diabetic diet. And I know that's not the right thing to be saying now. People have diabetes. They aren't diabetic. But at the time, they were on a diabetic diet because they had diabetes. And they were only allowed to have low sugar things. They weren't allowed to have a heap of carbs. I think it's fascinating how much has changed. And, and it's all this, we don't want to label people. We don't want people to feel like they're left out and everything else. That's all well and good unless you're sick. And I. My concern is it's pushed so far the other way now. I had to do a photo shoot because after my nursing, I became a photographer um, when my children grew up a little bit. My youngest was five. And um, I decided it was much more fun to go and do things and celebrate people's experiences and lives and challenges and come home and look after my family than 
nurse and I have to admire anyone who can work full-time as a nurse or a doctor or a health professional and then come home and look after family as well. Anyway, I was asked to do a photo shoot for the JDRF. They wanted to do a calendar and the two children I went to photograph up in the northwest both had diabetes. Um, I think it was a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, around about that. And when I got there, the mum said, oh, just wait a minute, we've just been to a McDonald's party and the girls have eaten, they've got to check their blood glucose and I'll have to have more insulin. And at the time I just went, what? You're allowing your girls to have all this food that they've got to have more insulin, which is going to compromise their health outcomes and give them complications sooner. Anyway, that just blew my mind. These girls were beautiful and I just, I wanted to cry thinking this is, this is what our health system is advocating. So I've become very distrustful of the system and I would say the system, not all the people in it. I'm not saying every doctor, every nurse, every dietitian. I do not believe. I think it's a minority of actual people that are involved in this um, movement that is creating the issues. But I feel sorry for the people in it because they've got no time to think about what's actually happening. And when they realise, Gary's big thing is once you see the health benefits of low carbohydrate, healthy fat, or reducing sugar, or just anything you're doing, any changes that you start to make, you can't unsee them. And to think you going back can be silenced like Gary for advocating something like that, I think is criminal. And um, it was interesting, Gary lost referrals for a while with all of this happening and I don't blame people. They were questioning it. Is he doing the right thing? Is he not doing the right thing? But once he was exonerated, I tell you what, the referrals are pouring back. And the number of health professionals to call Gary now and say, what are you talking about? How do I do this? How do I support people? Where are the resources? And there are an amazing amount of resources through you guys, through the courses you're doing. But Locab Down Under also has some great resources and more and more doctors and dietitians who are supporting this way. You can get on there and find out who they are. So um, I, I trust that it's going to get better but I've got a lot of distrust in the current paradigm and certainly this vegan agenda is very concerning for people who have got metabolic um, disease and, and a lot of people, just it's not going to be healthy for them. If Gary was on a vegan diet, he would die. Um, meat heals um, for him and for a lot of other people. And it's, I'm not talking about eating masses amount of meat. Um, when you eat low carbohydrate and healthy fats, when you have the right amount of protein and you eat some eggs and you have cheeses and if you want to have the dairy or you have other healthy fats, nuts and whatever else, and mix it up with some veggies if you can and can tolerate them, you can't. You can make the diet work for you. You don't need all the snacking. You don't need so much food and that's going to cut down on not only food waste, but all the packaging. You don't eat all the processed food. So it has to be better for the environment as well as planetary health, as well as people health. So I question this push very much, especially now I know how much corruption and how much vested interest there is in pushing this agenda. You know, I just... I marvel at it, and I don't know if marvel is actually the right word, because. What I've so I so um, I am vegan. I've been vegan for about twenty odd years, and 
What I find fascinating is that it doesn't matter which way you turn, whether you turn to um, looking at how much corruption is behind the meat industry agenda and, you know, what, what goes on in there. And then, of course, then there's corruption now in the vegan agenda. And, of course, there's corruption in our politicians and then there's corruption with our pharmaceuticals and our health and our wellness and then there's corruption with our environment. I, I know that this is a much bigger question than our podcast. Yeah, I spoke to is someone the other day. that doesn't have corruption? No. And I was speaking the other day and I said there wouldn't be a single group that wouldn't be lobbying, whether it's the meat industry, the egg industry, the milk, you know, the dairy, but the cereal industry, the, you know, the fake food industry, like every single one of them out there is pushing for their product. But I have to say there's a hell of a lot more money in the fake food and the cereals and everything else compared to the meats in comparison. But my concern, I'm not anti-vegan, anti-vegetarian, anti-anything, but it's pro-choice for health. And if for you a vegan way of eating is healthy, then that's what you want. You want health. And it's, it's just really fascinating to... Because to me, the Eastern origins of veganism and vegetarianism, they respect animals in the, in the circle of life. You know, they respect animals in the environment and there's very few Eastern religions that discount um, animal produce altogether. And whether it's just at a time when they're having a ceremony or whether they use the ghee or the milk or the eggs or whatever some might not eat meat but they don't necessarily get rid of everything but there's a lot of um you know they still respect the animals for fertilizing the soil and in the in in the environment western origin of vegetarianism which is actually vegan but the term didn't come about until 1944 the western origin of veganism is temperance and it's been a push to temperate our consumption of alcohol and that's how the whole sugar industry and the ice cream and the soft drink and everything else came about i've done a lot of study and i've actually put it on one of my blogs i spoke about it in spain recently i said there's the two arms of the temperance movement and the food industry has just latched onto both of them the food industry, the sugar industry, whatever else, and just gone, yay us, because we can make so much money from this ideology. So there's that one, but the temperance arm of the Seventh-day Adventist, which is also the Bible Christian church prior to them, um, the Seventh-day Adventist church have uh, an anti-meat belief and it came through a vision from God to their prophetess that meat um, caused animal propensities and stirring of bays of passions and was the most heinous sin. It caused masturbation, not only in men but women and children. And so it's a very bizarre thing to go down. But this is where we get cornflakes from. John Harvey Kellogg was a devout Seventh-day Adventist and he invented cornflakes to stop people from masturbating. So Sanitarium is also owned by Seventh-day Adventists. Sanitarium is owned by the Seventh-day Adventist Church and as a wholly owned church company, they pay no tax. Um, they have some incredible arms and I'm going to do some more work 
again, not anti the people who want to be Seventh-day Adventist or go to Seventh-day Adventist church or believe in their principles and their health reform vision and their prophetess, but they, Seventh-day Adventist church have been extremely influential in not only research and policy around this vegan, Western vegan agenda, um, they were told by their prophetess that medical evangelism was the right arm of the church. Their health reform message, which is an anti-meat, pro-cereal, grain, soy um, messaging, they they told that's the entering wedge to the church. So when people go to their hospitals, when people learn about their vegetarian and their vegan way of life, they are encouraged to then talk to people about the lifestyle first and then introduce them to the church later. And they are the second biggest educator of children and young people worldwide behind the Catholic Church. And um, interestingly, they had 6 billion downloads of one of their, downloads of their podcasts last year. And this is um, beyond anything we could think of doing. So um, it's a very influential Group and they even put out a research article last year. It was called The Global Influence of the Seventh-day Adventist Church on Nutrition or something like that. Um, and it was written by some researchers at Loma Linda University, which is the flagship medical university of Seventh-day Adventism in America. And their article stated that nutrition science started with the advent of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So, I don't even know what to say. So it's it's huge. And I my big concern is that again in my art in my talk in Spain that I led on to, the the issue for me is that the Seventh-day Adventist Church's message has come from a deep purpose. And I admire that. And I can tell you there's a lot of amazing people in that church who are doing amazingly good things. A lot of the people I've looked at, a lot of people I've researched, um, John Kelly, who started the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, they haven't done it to do the wrong thing. They've done it because they've passionately believed that not eating animal products is the right thing and the most healthy for people. But they've done it because the anti-meat is such a big agenda and their belief is that they can't eat meat before Jesus comes back again. They can't go to heaven if they've been eating meat. They're allowed, they're allowed to eat clean meats, um, but they're encouraged not to. And the, the less meat they eat, the better. And it's, it's a very spiritual thing. So, um, there's been, so there's some amazing people who are doing amazing work in the health space. And, and have developed incredible things in the health space as well. A lot of um, amazing. So Belinda, Belinda, I want to ask you, we've heard how tough it is and, and I can't even imagine what you and Gary have been through because we've followed you, Karen and I, through the eyes of Cindy who has been, if you could only hear the things that she has said about the two of you <laughs> and how she's trailblazed and, and totally supported and voiced in behind you as a nutritionist. Um, I'm just wondering for you guys here and now, you're a wife, you're a mum, 
you've got a business, you've got a husband that's been on one side of the media and now hopefully coming into a new place of being where people are actually admiring him for being that black sheep and stepping out and stepping up. What does life look like for you now and where are you taking it together with this uh, new information? How do you see it all unfolding if you could wave a magic wand? Um, I think especially for our community here in Launceston, it's huge. And we are in an area that has a very low socioeconomic um, economy and the people here are very sick. So for our community, it's amazing. They're going to have an opportunity to hear more and more of this message. Um, Gary's speaking for the first time in Launceston in March, I think it is, with Christine Cronow. She's coming down to speak with Asim Malhotra and Marianne Damasi. So this is exciting that we can start to be loud and be heard and be respected by also medical professionals. And, and so there are more people coming, whereas they might have steered clear of this sort of conference beforehand. I think the Low Carb Down Under group is getting bigger and stronger and um, more and more people, more and more health professionals are starting to come along to those meetings as well. So I think the opportunity moving forward is amazing. And again, it's low-carb, healthy fats to support people's choice. And that's the most important thing. Their choice in their own well-being, but their choice for health. And I don't believe you can keep that from people. Um, so Gary and I are excited about this year. We've got a couple of talks lined up where Gary's actually speaking to 1,000 doctors in Jakarta. Um, the first big low-carb meeting ever It's going to be there and we're very excited about that. Um, he's talking with the low-carb USA group for that one with Dr Georgia Ede and then we've got another meeting in San Diego with the low-carb USA again in July. So they're really exciting and then we've got a family holiday planned with our kids because we decided after all this time we really need to give them a bit of time out because if you could imagine how much this has dominated and occupied our time for so long and the kids are amazing and we always try and do things with them and not quit, but it's been in the back of our minds for so long and, and there's been all these deadlines and everything else that's come at us. So this year I'm also hoping to have a bit of time out with our family and I guess pass the baton on to some people as well Younger people coming up, um, there's a gorgeous girl called Vanessa Spina, the ketogenic girl. I mean, we met her in Spain. So you've got the young generation now starting to take the mantle going, I really want to talk about this. And they've got so much, they're so much more social media savvy than we are. People find them on Instagram and all these other places. So I think going forward, that's really important. The other thing is I'm going to start doing some, my daughter's talking me into doing Vox Docs. Apparently the eight to ten minute little sound bites of things. So I'm going to start doing podcast audio just to attach to my website um, to pretty much tell the story and, and all my research. And that will take a while to get that done. So yeah, a few things happening. Gary's gone back to golf and he's absolutely loving it. So looking forward to really supporting other people going forward with this rather than feeling like we're just being battered by APRA for so long. It'll be nice. Hmm. 
sounds like um, a perfect year and it sounds like that Gary now can speak what um, is his truth, which is the most wonderful thing. I, as soon as, it's so funny because as soon as I heard the gag was taken off, I texted <laughs> Gary, I said, please, can we have you on the podcast? And he obviously had been inundated. And then, you know. He was. He was. He had um, a late scratch. It was more a lot of um, a lot of political meetings, a lot of medical meetings, and a lot of journalists. And he just he couldn't put those off. So we're so sorry he didn't get an opportunity to talk. And he will have an opportunity in the next couple of months. So don't give up hope. He'll he'll be there. He'll be able to chat to you guys. Look, I look forward to it. I really do. You know, you've said um, a lot, and for the people that are listening, I do recommend that they re-listen to this and that they also go to um, that article that you wrote, Lifestyle Medicine, Where Did the Meat Go? And I'll make sure that I put a link in the show notes that people can read that. It's it's a long read, but it is an eye-opener. And, um, you know, people need to know this because it's the advertising, the marketing that's happening out there. The other thing that um, I wanted to make note of for anybody who re-listens to this is you talked about the the um, American US right to know. Uh, we actually interviewed Carrie Gillum. She wrote the book Whitewash and her fight in the US right to know is the amount of glyphosate that's in breakfast cereals and in, um, you know, fake foods and... Um, in grains and in seeds and in vegetable oils. So, you know, it's, it's not only, you know, and I always go back to this because it's not only we have to, you know, look at the foods that we're consuming and, you know, whether it's fats, carbohydrates or proteins, but we also have to look at the quality of the food that we're consuming. And, um, you know, this is why we, we have the cancers that we're now seeing we're just seeing it in in phenomenal amounts um i agree i think this if we don't start looking at our food supply and this is something you'd really better chat to gary about because this is where he would love to head in his discussions and going forward is um, regenerative farming it's it's how can we go forward and protect our environment so that we can produce the food which is what i was talking about before we need ruminants on the soil to fertilise. You know, there's billions of um, microorganisms in a cow patty. And this whole thing about cows, Gary has a hashtag, innocent cows, cows do not produce the most methane. Sheep actually produce more methane than a cow. Mm-hmm. And um, termites, centipedes, millipedes and scarab beetles produce even more than all of them combined. So... If you look at the numbers, our cow, you know, our ruminant population's going down. We're not looking after our soil. We're not doing the best we can do. And I think by eating less sugar and processed food, it, we have less hunger, so we're going to ha- need less food. We're going, we've got to really start to watch our food waste. And all this packaging of processed food, I completely agree with you guys. You know, mm. Not just what, it's how and why. You know, we need to we need to change. And how great is it that the US right to know is starting to highlight really important messages? Mm, they really are. And um, just for those people that are who are listening who didn't get a chance to listen to Charles Massey, we interviewed him a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago, and he wrote the book 
um, call of the reed warbler, and it is about regenerative farming. Um, he's an Australian. Um, so for those people who are really interested in learning more about what Belinda's talking about um, with regenerative farming, it's, it's worth going and listening to that amazing interview. You know, yeah. this is the thing, Belinda, is that there are a scattering, a big scattering of people in Australia and if we could just get us all together, it's not just the, the low-carb, high-fat, it's the regenerative farmers, it's the um, organic, um, you know, movement, it's the farmers' markets, it's these integrated doctors, it's if, if the nutritionists, the dietitians. The, there's so much out there. If we could somehow get them together to <laughs> create a, um, an organisation that can help these Australian people. Well, I... This is what I would hope we can. And, and again, it's, it's being committed to a purpose mm. like, like, this, like the vegan agenda but not the good vegan agenda, um, Cindy, the yeah. bad vegan agenda. Um, the Eat Lancet is a bad vegan agenda as far as I'm concerned. You know, when you look at the, the corruption, the partnering of industry, I mean, you've got Nestle, you've got Novo Nordisk, who's promoting this Eat Lancet commission, they make 85% of their profit from insulin. Of course they're going to want people to be having 232 grams of carbohydrates a day, whole grains they're recommending, and only 7 grams of meat, but preferably zero. Um, and there's 5% of the calories was sugar and only 3% of the calories was vegetables. I mean, we're talking essentially screwed. Yeah, when you actually look at it, all their marketing, I did a post a couple of yes, days ago. Yeah. Post, and it, I put Marty Kendall's work in it. He, he's done some amazing work on the nutrient. Um, he's actually plotted it all into data and done graphs and things. It's amazing. And while the Eat Lancet Commission's report looks like half a plate of vegetables, like it just looks vegetable-centric, when you actually go into the, what they're recommending, it is 3.1% of the total calories is vegetable. I'm not kidding. And so, of course, Novo Nordisk is going to be partnering with this. So this is a really, really concerning um, document that's come out and they're trying to target government already. Like the CSIRO are so involved in it um, that, the power of social media is us all calling it out. But how awesome would it be if we could find a group of, you know, how we could work out some platform that we could come together. And it's a diverse group. You don't want everyone having exactly the same ideas, but you want them to have the same purpose, that we want to save this planet, but in a regenerative way. We want to really care for the soil. We don't want to make stupid comments about getting rid of every animal we've got, getting rid of the ruminants and that, does nothing for our environment. So it's about respecting a group of people who all come together and say, how can we do this the best way we can? I think yeah. it's awesome. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> well, Diana Rogers is doing quite a bit of work too, the Sustainable Dish, her website. She's into regenerative farming. She's a dietitian um, in America and lives on a farm with her husband. And so they're pushing very much for this project over there. Okay, I'll look her up. Yeah, that's and, awesome. And the other thing, you know, you were talking about the, the Lancet thing that's coming out, um, and I have, I've had a quick read. 
yeah, what is it called? A the Eat Lancet Commissioner Commission, um, and it's a billionaire couple and their Eat Foundation, um, partnering with the World Business Council of Sustainable Development, which is twenty five or forty food, pharmaceutical and biotech industries, Bayer and everybody else you can imagine, all the glyphosate people. Um, wow. it, it's, it's criminal what, yeah. what it is. And yet our peak bodies are just lapping it up thinking it's going to save the planet. And you just go, what on earth are you even doing? What planets are you guys on that you believe something like this? So the power of social media Georgia Ede has really gone through the actual report in detail and shown where they've, they've actually said the importance of some animal products, animal fats and proteins, but then they haven't translated it into their report. They've, they've made, with, with what they've actually said, the diet that they've prescribed is going to be nutritionally deficient, not only for children, but for young adolescent girls who are starting to menstruate, for pregnant women, for the poor who can't afford, well, they're just giving them all corn and rice. Um, and for the elderly, it's, a, it's just not got enough protein and it's a real concern. So she's gone through it looking at that side of things. Marty's just plotted the actual data so you can see it really quickly and easily in graphs. And Zoe Harkham's pulled it apart as PhD looking at it. <laughs> Interesting people who've gotten on and making some um, comments. But I tell you what, this, young, this couple who are the founders of the foundation, um, they are billionaires that are living the most, most lavish lifestyle and they're making big mistakes. The Mirror Today reported that had put up on his Instagram and they took the screen grab of it and put it in the Mirror UK, plastered it today, um, with him having one picture showing his little tiny hamburger, like miniature one you could almost hold in your finger, thumb, and yeah. what eat with my wifey, and then a picture of him with a stack that maybe had 10 meat patties in it, but what I do in Vegas. And you're going, so you're creating these rules that are for the elite, and what are the peasants meant to do? I'm meant to eat gruel? You know, this is elitist. It's elitist and vested in us, and I think the power of social media, hopefully, to keep challenging, especially when you find Pictures like that, I mean, it's great. We're just, it's going to pull apart the credibility of the whole thing. And it's so concerning. Mm. Um, Melanie Voden, do you know her, Cindy? No. Um, a dietitian who was deregistered or not deregistered, she was kicked off the board of Dietitians Association of Australia for questioning the, um, their ties to um, industry. And she now works at Monash University, but she wrote a really powerful thing saying in her, her concern with this Eat Lancet thing is um, biodiversity and oh, there's a couple of really good words um, to do with humanity. You know, how can you put a one-size-fits-all diet onto the entire world without consideration? It was, so I've got her screen grab in my article as well. I'll, I'll make sure that I get all this on the notes. We're coming to the end of our podcast and I, I would love um, two things that you have taken away from everything that you and Gary have been through that 
um, has been most important to you? What are the what are the two things that you want to tell our audience that you have taken away from these whole, this whole experience? I guess the two things I want to take away. It's probably not a good thing to say that um, some people that you meet on the internet have got far more knowledge than your doctor. Um, but I think I think questioning and not in an inappropriate way, but just questioning the best thing for your health. We, we go to doctors and we just assume they know best, but their education hasn't always told them the best. If you can find a good doctor who's prepared to check and, and investigate things and listen to you and really support you, that would be one of my big takeaways. And I have found someone who's amazing and thank goodness I'm also married to someone who's amazing, so yay. I think the other thing would be the people that we've met on this journey who are disruptors, who are challenging paradigms. Um, my life has been enriched because of these people and Gary and I would say, despite how difficult the last few years have been, we would not go back and sit there and not challenge this. We would not sit there and go, this is all too hard, too bad, we know what to do, we won't bother. Fighting this fight, um, meeting people and being on this journey to help empower others to take back control of their health is amazing. And that's, I can't tell you how much I love being here in this space and knowing you guys and knowing all the other people. It's amazing. And seeing, seeing hearing the stories from people who've, who've changed their health from adopting low-carbohydrate healthy fat principles in whatever form that is. Thank you for that. Well, I think that that sounds like an absolutely wonderful way to conclude today's podcast. Belinda, thank you for everything that you've shared with us. You've been a powerhouse of, of information. But I think for me, you know, the two things that I really feel for myself in listening to everything that you've been through is now more than ever, I think, there is... Um, a necessity for people to one take control of their own health and well-being and to not get lost in a world of ignorance because mm -hmm. i don't think we can i don't think we can rest in ignorance and hope for the best i don't no. think we have the luxury of being able to do that anymore no. um, and then i also think yeah we'll become the peasants we'll just be dictated to and yeah, yeah. we need to we need to be more aware. And I also think that, you know, we can't turn a blind eye to what we know. And I think that it's, it, it, it's you know, when we, when we know that these sorts of things are happening out there in the medical industry, albeit we can't tar everything with the same brush and everyone with the same brush, no. but it certainly is enough for us to raise curiosity and suspicions, enough for us to be able to say, well, you know what, I know that this sort of thing happens, maybe not with you who's sitting in front of me right now, but I know that this sort of thing is happening out there because wherever there is money, there's corruption. Whenever there's power, there's going to be corruption. And wherever there is a desire for, um, for uh, world domination, I think there's going to be corruption. What do you think, Kimmy? Do you, what, what are your top takeaways from today's podcast? Well, I think the first one would have to be that behind every great man is an extraordinary woman. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and I really, I think the two takeaways I've taken is 
just that amazing moment where a qualified orthopaedic surgeon questions whether or not a lawyer has any knowledge at all around food and then finds himself questioned by the world as to whether he has any knowledge on food. I thought that was quite an amazing epiphany that um, it, I don't think it matters your background. I think it's your passion. And I noticed that for, um, for the amazing... Um, you know, sugar book that you read that David Gillespie was also questioning and unwell. And so for Gary to be unwell and then go on his own journey, I'm hoping that that doesn't mean people have to get unwell in order to do this. And Karen always says this, that allow Gary, bless his heart, to be the one that has taken one for the team so that we can then get in behind him. That's definitely my first takeaway. And my second one is around social media, that if you can't um, be out there and do anything as far as maybe knowing what you can do to contribute to Gary and Belinda's cause and what we can do, then then support them both on, on their social media and Cindy will put it in the notes. But I think one of the greatest things we can do is at least get in behind you both. So I just want to, I want to thank you for trailblazing it for me as a, as a listener and also um, for being Cindy's friend and being on this journey so that, that people like me that aren't qualified in this area can have hope and faith that there are people that really do truly care about our future generations. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was lovely. Oh, and I think my two takeaways from this is that I find that people wake up when they're in crisis and it sounds like Gary and you got into a crisis with Gary's health and that's when you started to, uh, you know, wake up. And I think that wake-up call is happening more and more because there's a lot of kids in crisis. There's a lot of mothers that don't know what to do. There's a lot of doctors that have no answers. So the I, I hate to say it, but it seems the crisis uh, and a health crisis that people get into is often when we make that change and I'm so grateful and I, I know this is a terrible thing to say but I am grateful that that happened to you because I see you two as absolute trailblazers and, um, and I guess that's my, my second takeaway is that um, I'm very grateful to be yours and Gary's friend and that you are trailblazers and I'm, I'm just on those skirt trails, you know, I'm with you wherever you're going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and that's the thing it, it's it's supporting it's supporting each other it's um it's it's very exciting but yeah we need to be there for each other yes so belinda how can our listeners follow you tell us where they can find you on facebook and also online well gary was silenced so Gary Fecchino Fructose Facebook page became Belinda Fecchino Fructose Facebook page. Awesome. So our, our listeners can go to Belinda Fecchi, F-E-T-K-E. Yeah, sorry, F-E-T-T-K-E. Yeah. Belinda Fecchino Fructose. And on that page, it, it used to be very sciencey when Gary was there. Unfortunately, it's not quite as sciencey now, but I try to share a mix of science articles and articles I'm passionate about, certainly debunking fake news science. Um, there's a whole lot of things that I share on there. Um, Gary and I are both active on Twitter, but, of course, we're a bit more um, disruptive on Twitter. So if you just want to hear more about what's happening all around the world with different news and sharing stories and things, that's the Facebook page. Awesome. If you 
yeah, I think that's probably the best one to go to. <laughs> all right, perfect. I'll put it all on the show notes. Yes, that's and awesome. My, my web page. Now, Gary's also got uh, Gary Fitki. Uh, he's got a, is his page No Fructose? I think it is his web page. So www.nofructose.com. There is a lot of science on there. There is uh, when he was doing everything before APRA started really harassing him and he had no more time. He's got a lot of information up there. Unfortunately, it's a bit of a dog's body, but if someone wants to go there and start searching through a few things, my aim would be to try and clean that up. But there's a lot of really good science and information on there too. Um, the I Support Gary website, there's a bit of science, but mostly what I was trying to find when I was trying to work out why Gary's being silenced. So the I Support Gary has a mix, but the No Fructose one's pretty much all science and a bit of what was happening to him at the beginning with the APRA investigation. That's wonderful, Belinda. Awesome. Look, thank you so much for sharing all of that. And we'll have all of that in the show notes there as well so that everybody who's out jogging or in their cars picking up their kids right now, you guys will be able to um, tune in when you get back to your homes. Belinda, yeah, thank Gary, you so much. For- sorry, all of Gary's talks are on YouTube as well. Oh, fantastic. Good to okay. know. Really yeah, good to know. Right. No, you're most welcome. Thank you so much for being a part of Up for a Chat. It has been a treat and an honour to host the last hour or so with you. It's been amazing. All of our listeners, hopefully you guys have loved today's podcast. Thank you, Belinda, and hopefully we'll get to have you on the show again. Okay, thanks so much, Cindy. Bye. Bye, ladies. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Make sure that you tune in next week right here on Up for a Chat. Make sure that you give us a five-star rating and tell everybody that you know about Up for a Chat so that we can get more listeners tuning in and being educated and inspired to make positive choices in the direction of their own lives and their own health and well-being. We're going to see you here right, um, right on the same time, same station, same place, right here online on the Up for a Chat podcast. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.